afternoon whenever you are listening to this. I'm recording on a very lovely Tuesday morning. Um, This is the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast. This is Jess. This is where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, whatever else I feel like talking about that week. I'm very excited for you guys to hear this episode. I had the opportunity to sit down with one of my favorite people, one of my good friends from high school. So I've known this person since 2001, 2002, um, Adam Tolliver. He is one of my favorite people to dissect the current state of the world with. He's so informed about honestly everything. If I have a question about sports ball, y'all know I do not understand anything about sports ball, but when something um, political or pop culture-y happens in sports ball, he's one of my go-tos. Uh, I talked to him about financial advice, which is what we're going to get into this episode, you know, trigger warning. We will talk about financy things, but I promise it will be approachable. Conversations about finance give me wicked anxiety so that he's someone that I'm comfortable talking to about it. You guys should feel safe as well. So I'm very excited for you guys to hear. I'm excited for y'all to hear every episode. I'm always excited when people are willing to listen to me scream into the void, which is what it feels like is happening a lot of times. So this week, uh, I realized I have not given you guys a fashion tip in a while. I'm sure I've said this before, but I just want to encourage you guys again for the three of us who are still quite aware that we're living in a pandemic and practicing social distancing and not going out when it's not necessary. I really want you guys to invest in like, if you can, obviously, I say these things fully aware (laughs) that everybody ain't able. So if you can, really invest in some cozy knitwear or some really silky kind of just some fabrics that actually feel good on your skin. I know that we're in the age of fast fashion and a huge part of why I try to stay away from fast fashion is because often the fabrics just don't give what they suppose the hair gave. <laughs> like, I don't know if you have ever felt silk on like a freshly shaved leg, you know, just, it just feels good. And for me, while I am, you know, trying not to lay around my house too much, but a whole lot of times I am laying around my house, I have really enjoyed doing so in a very cozy, soft knitwear and or I actually bought one of those really pretty like nightgown kind of things that you see in the movies where like a woman just like killed her husband for the insurance money and the police arrived to arrest her and she pretends to be distraught but we all know she did it like that kind of vibe. They feel so good on your body. I just want to encourage you guys to, if you can, really experience what a good fabric feels like. What it feels like to lay around in, what it feels like to put on. It's just delightful. The other thing I want to talk about really quickly before we get into this conversation with Adam about debunking some of the misconceptions that LLC Twitter puts out into the universe, there has been since the pandemic began, probably before then, I know before then, I've had this growing concern about black people and the way we participate in exploitation. This past week, a black woman caught a lot of hell 
for the way she discussed her move to Bali. Um, the Indonesian community was very upset with her. I think she's actually being deported. It's been a mess. Um, you can look that up on Twitter. I don't, I don't want to go into every part of it, but pre-pandemic, Black people have not been great in general. Some of us have not been great about going into underserved, underprivileged, I'm not sure the PC term to use here, but countries where they don't have as much as we have, right? And we'll go into these countries and try to lowball locals, try to haggle with them, don't properly tip. Um, it's even worse during a pandemic because you're putting these locals at risk very it's giving very much colonizer energy because you're going you're carrying disease <laughs> to foreign countries and killing people basically because for all the videos and the photos that i have seen none of y'all are in these countries wearing masks you're dealing with service workers not wearing who when and, and you're not wearing masks I can only hope that y'all are tipping them on top of tips because the struggle is that those a lot of those countries rely on tourism dollars. Maybe they need them, I'm not sure. But a couple of things. If you are privileged enough to be able to go on a vacation out of the country during a pandemic, maybe save those pictures for a later time because it's a bit discouraging, disheartening, kind of shitty for you to boast and brag about where you are when there are so many people right now even more so than any other time there's always going to be the haves and the have-nots but right now there are a lot of have-nots and for you to boast and brag about being on a beach in a very fabulous location it's shitty just to be honest with you it's a shitty thing to do right now so maybe hold those photos for a later time, if you just feel like you're going to absolutely die, if you don't go on a vacation, that's a part of your self-care. I can't really argue with you about that. But the way that you promote that, have con some consideration for the fact that a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people are afraid to do that because there is a deadly virus out here. The other thing, too, is have some consideration for what's happening in these other countries. They, he they have even less resources than we have to take care of their citizens with this this virus cases are not going down um it's a shitty thing to do in my opinion but you know i try to approach things with more curiosity over conviction and i'm really trying to understand why black people who we should have a better understanding of what it means to be exploited what it means to be taken advantage of and to see black people go into foreign countries to see black people go into even on a bachelorette trip that I went to to uh, either Jamaica or the Bahamas I get them mixed up years ago I remember getting on one of the girls because she was trying to haggle with our taxi driver and it was like five or six of us right and the the cab was only like five dollars a piece for the whole night this guy was like oh I'll just you know drive you girls around the whole night really nice man and she was trying to haggle with him to get it down to $3 a piece. And I'm like, bitch, you don't have $2? 
this is how this man makes a living. This is how he takes care of himself. This is what we came to this country for. And you're really going to haggle with him about $2. And one of my friends made a really good point that like, we don't do that in, in America. Somebody tells us how much something is in America, we pay it. But you go into an underserved or you know, a country where they don't have as many resources as we do, and you feel like it's appropriate to do that to black and brown people, that's shitty. That is really shitty of you. I think that I want, I don't want us to keep operating from a place of this is what white people do. White people do it, so why can't we? White people are not bastions of civility, of empathy, of kindness, of respect. Obviously, looking at what happened when these people stormed the Capitol, that is what I think of when I think of historically what white people do. I don't want to be aligned with that. I want to be on the right side of history. I don't want to treat people with a lack of empathy just because I can. I'm seeing too many conversations surrounding business, surrounding stimulus checks, where black people are being really classist, really elitist. And the really scary thing about that is you seem to be woefully unaware of the fact that even if you are actually a very wealthy black person, which many of you are not, many of you who are engaging in these conversations where you don't want the minimum wage to be raised, where you feel like unemployment needs to be cut off, where you wanna tell people what to do with their stimulus checks, many of you are not actually wealthy, okay? Many of you are not actually rich. You know, referring back to the Chris Rock stand-up, you don't fall in either of those buckets, but you're hoping to one day fall into one of those buckets and you feel like aligning yourself with their beliefs is going to get you there. It won't. It won't. I, I don't even mean to sound like a basic bitch, but if you read Outliers, <laughs> okay, a lot of people who are fantastically wealthy and successful, right place, right time, circumstantial. So you're not going to 48 laws of power your way into wealth. You're just not. So you may as well at least not be an asshole. Just don't be an asshole. I tell people all the time, I really do hope to have kids one day. I have a niece who I love very much. I have a nephew who I love very much. My hope for them, no matter who or what they decide to do or to become with their lives, don't be an asshole. Just don't be an asshole. So... Seeing black people talk about wanting to exploit other black people, seeing black influencers take advantage of, and I've spoken about this before, particularly black women's desire for financial freedom, for personal freedom, to heal from heartbreak or financial abuse, taking advantage of those kinds of situations so that you can sell an ebook or so that you can speak on a panel, it's really disheartening because you are acting with the same energy as a lot of other people who have exploited us <laughs> as a community for a really long time for free. Why would you carry that forward when you hope you have an awareness of what that means, what that looks like? I really want us all to be a little bit more introspective about the way we operate in the world. Don't be an asshole just because white people have tricked you into believing that it's okay, that if it makes money, it makes sense. It's not true. So with that being said, I think that's a good segue <laughs> into Adam and I's conversation. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I really don't mean to be preachy. I'm really more so speaking from a place of sadness, um, of feeling really discouraged and trying not to lose faith in humanity because I'm just seeing so many things that I find quite disturbing and disgusting, especially from people who 
not especially, but I, I want, I just want us to, to, to be better than that because we know what it's like to be on the receiving end of exploitation. So I hope you guys still enjoy this episode. I'm not going to apologize for being preachy. I'm trying to stop apologizing so much for things. That's like a, I don't know if that's conditioning of being black or being a woman or both, but I'm really trying to stop apologizing for shit that I really shouldn't have to apologize for. Y'all take that challenge with me. <laughs> so stay tuned. All right. Hi, friends. Hey, hey. Hi guys, I'm super excited. I'm always excited to talk with you guys, but I'm very excited about today's episode. You get to um, peek into me and my good friend Adam's text, Insta, um, phone call, clubhouse conversations where we judge LLC Twitter. I'm gonna let Adam introduce himself. Adam, tell the people who you are, what you do and why. Sure. So my name is Adam Tolliver. I am a financial advisor. I do fee-based financial planning for families and business owners uh, out of greater Atlanta. I work with clients all over the country. Um, and I've known Jessica for years and years. So this is exciting for me. I love her podcast. I love supporting what she does. And so to for her to be a lending her audience to me to have a conversation is pretty dope. I'm excited. I'm excited that you have like a really professional setup. It didn't even occur to me to plug in my mic. So <laughs> I'm like, what do I do with my life? Adam, I genuinely don't remember how long we've known each other. What was ninth grade? 2002? 2001. Okay. So like Adam has been like a part of my writing career since before its inception so that's wild so when yeah. i write my we'll, book well we read in Mid midsummer night's dream and what right right and breaking it down so when i write my book like you'll probably have to do a forward like i knew jess was a bad bitch off rip <laughs> no that's work that's work though you stood you stood out in the class i remember um you were one of one of the more vocal and opinionated which has held true uh since i've known you um, but not just, <laughs> yeah, but not just willy nilly opinions though. You know, some people just be talking to, to hear themselves speak, but, um, but yeah, you, you've always been, um, speaking from a passionate place because you felt like you knew what you were talking about. And I like the way you think about things. I like the way you question things. So I've, I I've did always too. I'm, you know, I'm so grateful. Um, you know, you get older and you have friends who become more like family because they don't quite get where you have grown um or vice versa you know you're not like quite in alignment but you are one friend who we actually like got closer as we got older because we started to kind of view things the same which leads me right into um you are one of my favorite people to dissect what the fuck llc twitter is ever talking about with <laughs> so you and i if you guys are not following adam on twitter like it's a must do because adam gathers people the fuck together with facts on a daily and it feeds my soul. Um, one thing that I'm so curious about, okay, and this is a big question, but I believe in you. Why do we think in our community that LLCs are the answer to all our problems? It's like, if you ain't got no money, bitch, start an LLC. If your hairline is receding, bitch, start an LLC. <laughs> like, why do we think that's the answer to all our problems? I think that, I think it's a multi-layered um sort of thing and i do want to start i'm not the biggest fan of disclaimers but i think it's important to i think there are a lot of um 
very smart, very capable and successful um, black business owners out there right now who are um, taking a lot of strays because of LLC Twitter, quote unquote, um, because it's very difficult to, in this environment, sift through what's bullshit and what's not. Um, And so there's a lot of fluff and there's a lot of faking and charlatans, et cetera, that are typically what people are referring to when it comes to LLC Twitter. Um, And in, in that same vein, there are a lot of legitimate business owners who are successful, who could probably stand to come down off their soapbox and stop trying to preach what they do to other people and assuming that it is something that can be applied at a macro level. Like everyone, if I did it, anyone can do it because everyone's not the same. And if that were the case, then you would not even be successful at what you were doing, which would defeat the purpose. Um, But I think a big part of it is we live in an, in sort of a renaissance of entrepreneurship Um, in the age of the internet, uh, in the age of social media, um, a lot of, gatekeeping that previously existed no longer exists. It's a lot easier for people to like 20 years ago, somebody had an online store. You were like, holy shit, for real? Like, it's you, a like huge deal. Yeah. you're like, oh, that, that's your website. Yeah. Like, yo, my dog got a website. That's like being on TV. Like, yeah. damn, you on TV. Yeah. Um, Nobody, almost everyone has a website. You know what I mean? Um, anyone can set up a store, um, Shopify, Etsy. Like these are things that, that are very normal now. And so in that, a lot of people are in this age of learning about business, wanting to understand it better. Um, And there are a lot of principles about entrepreneurship that I do think hold important merit. And just to rewind a little bit, I'm a huge proponent um, of entrepreneurship and small business owners. I believe in them. I think they're extremely important. What I do not believe is that everyone should own a business or run a business. Um, That's what I find so problematic. I feel yeah. like if everyone ran a business, who would purchase the products? You know, like we can't, my sister, one of my quote unquote big sisters has this thing that she says, um, someone has to make the fries. Like someone, you know, yeah. like we can't all be doing the same thing. And I think what I find so troubling is the judgment that comes mm-hmm. that it's, oh, y'all should be doing or y'all could be doing. And it's like, sweetie, you're telling people to commit fraud. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that is the that's the other dangerous part of it, um, which, you know, an LLC um, as as a classification is really just an entity set up. So it it is it is not indicative of a profitable or successful business. Exactly. Like um, I have an LLC. It doesn't mean that like, you know what I mean? I'm like, what, yeah. what do there, y'all think it is? <clears throat> there are millions of LLCs on um, Secretary of State websites across the country that have never earned a dollar and right. will not earn a dollar. Um and so it is It is quite literally the bare minimum. And everyone's business doesn't even need to be set up as an LLC, which, another, which is a, another thing. But part of the issue is that um, when people are giving business advice, a lot of the time, and I air quotes with business advice, but a lot of times they're treading into legal waters, they're treading into tax waters, they're treading into all these different areas that can be extremely costly if you fuck up in them. 
Right. Um, and unfortunately, that's one of the byproducts of living in a knowledge-based economy right now, especially where people, it's an expertise economy, it's a knowledge economy. And so if someone knows a little bit better than you, and if they deliver with confidence um, and they can strike the right persona on the internet, you could be beholden to falling for believing that they know what they're talking about. And that's um, what I find so frustrating for us as Black people. I don't want us to model our business practices after the exploitive business practices that we have been victims of. Like, you know, many of us have worked a job. Um, you know, if you never worked retail, you missed out on like a key life experience. But that's one of the most exploitive jobs ever. Like, you know, there are obviously, especially living in New York, people who've made a career out of working in retail, but then there are people who like that's their stepping stone and it's a really hard trajectory. Like I worked in retail for so long and it like never got a, I don't think I ever even got like a full-time position working in retail. It's a very exploitive industry. And it, it really makes me sad to see, you know, certain influencers who shall remain nameless because we don't do free promo over here, but to see certain black influencers take advantage, especially of black women who want financial literacy, you know, huge buzzword or buzz term, who want financial literacy, who want financial freedom, who are trying to set themselves up to be like this quote unquote, like boss culture, and they buy into these things that aren't actually going to work for them. And I think that in the age of the internet, and like you said, how we have so much information, I think it's so much more important for people to have more discernment about what information they take in and what information they apply. So with that being said, you are, you know, a financy person who I trust because, you know, I am not a numbers bitch. I am a words bitch um, <laughs> because I trust your expertise. When you talk to people in our age group about how to manage their disposable income, what are like your main recommendations about like how to manage your money in a way that is smart and that's going to set you up for the future, but also isn't going to mean that you have to eat like spam every day. And no shade to anybody who eats spam. It's just not my vibe. I support you though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is for me, I, ha I have a sort of four pillar financial philosophy that is general enough to apply to most people. And then within that, you kind of get into the nuts and bolts um, okay. for, for an individual. Okay. So the first pillar is understanding your money relative to time. So um, when are you actually going to need the money that you're putting money away for? So a lot of people will invest and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking to accumulate wealth, which that's, a, you know, this is a, this is sort of an interesting, interesting topic because some people think that they can invest to get rich, like in the short term. Um, right. I get that. I get that impression from people a lot. Um, but <clears throat> we know we, we need to know when am I actually going to need this money that I'm putting away? Is it money that I'm going to need like next year? Am I going to need it in a few months? Am I going to need it five years from now, 10 years from now? 30 years from now, if we're talking about, you know, things like retirement, um, because once we know when we need the money, it can help us narrow down what our actual options are to what we can do with it. So the sooner I need this money, the less risk I should be taking with it because I need it to be what it is. 
if right. I put away $500 and I need that $500 next month, well, I can't afford to put it in anything risky because if I wake up on the day that I need it and it's $480, that's a problem. Whereas Atlanta did this really well, right? The episode of Atlanta where Ern mm-hmm. invested in the puppies and he's like, broke people can't afford to invest. Right. People need right. money. Like, you know what I mean? So this exactly. is such an important, yeah, love it. Exactly. Okay, and so under, no, you're, that's a perfect example. So like in, in this pillar, a lot of people will come and they'll talk about investing and then I'll be like, okay, how much do you have in emergency savings? Uh, because you need short-term liquidity and safety before you can talk about putting your money at risk. Which is the conversation you and I had to have where it was just like, okay, let me prioritize like Mm -hmm. where exactly I need to begin. Right. Yeah. And so that one is huge. Understanding it relative to time. The second one is understanding it relative to function. So we've asked the question, when do I need this money? Then we ought to ask ourselves, what is it going to do for us between right now and when we're going to need it? So if it's sitting in a savings account, um, then it's not going to do much of anything other than be available, which is an important trait for money, like availability, liquidity. If I see it, can I touch it? Can I use it right now? Because if I got bills to pay or an emergency comes up, that's very important. So that that accessibility is a price. That's that's a benefit that you get. The price that you pay is that it's not going to grow for you. So the interest rate is going to be really low in like a bank account, a savings account, um, money market, CDs, et cetera. Right. Um, And so what are the other things that money can do for you? Uh, It can grow and it can protect. Those are really the three things that money does for you. It can be accessible so you can use it like right now or tomorrow or like in the very near future. It can grow for you. It can protect. And in some cases, you know, it can do all three. Um, And ideally taking notes. (laughs) And so ideally, you want to put your money in places that can do multiple things um, for you. And so but the price that you have to pay is you have to give up that first benefit, that accessibility. And so the money that is sort of midterm, long term down the road, those are the ones that you can afford to let do other things. Money that works for you needs to leave to go work. Got it. And that's regardless of what you're, you know, investing in, whether it's real estate or it's stocks and bonds or it's startup companies, other people's businesses, whatever you're investing in, it's long-term gains come at short-term cost. So you're going to have to give something up in the beginning and know reasonably, I'm going to have to wait X amount of months, years, et cetera. And usually it's years. Um, If you're playing a different ball game with a different level of money, you you know, you got to you can get past different gates that other people can't get past. You might have some things that are like 12 months, 18 months, but a lot of people, the the average person who's just working a nine to five, making money and wants to figure out where to put extra money, you need to be thinking long-term investing. Definitely. So like long-term investing is like your 401k, your like that kind of situation. Right. That's, that's one place. And, and really, and I say this, um, to black people, especially, but especially to black millennials, because millennials are not investing at the level that we should be. Um, But you also need to be investing outside of your 401k because your 401k um, 
is not accessible until after you're 59 and a half without paying a penalty in, in right. taxes. And so you want to have something that's in non-qualified taxable investments, meaning that it'll be taxed every year, but it's accessible before you turn 59 and a half. Got it. Got it. Um, did we cover all four pillars? No. Okay. So the third pillar is protecting your downside. Um, and this is about risk management. So this is about insurances. This is about health insurance, property and casualty insurance. Um, so your home, your car, this is about uh, life insurance. This is about disability insurance. Basically, if you're setting the goal to, you know, if you're looking long-term 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I want to build wealth. I want to do X, Y, Z. I want to buy a home. I want to pay for my kid's college. I want to retire me and my wife and my partner. If you're making this list of things that you want to do, you also need to conceive of what are the potential threats to disrupting that process along right. the way. Right. And so um, the comparison that I use is like um, a plane before you sit down on a plane, before you or I sit down on a plane, that plane has been stress tested a million ways and the engineers and the technicians and the pilots know what the potential risks are and they've tested specifically to ensure or mitigate those risks as best as possible. Now, can you make it completely risk-proof? No, but you can protect your downside. And so if we got on a plane and the pilot said, you know, as long as things go absolutely perfectly, I feel pretty good that we'll get to where we're going. You would want to get off that plane, right? Right. right. But they do take their measures to let you know what you need to do in the event of emergency. And before that, they've gone through this hundred point checklist. I don't even know how many measures are on the checklist, but they go yeah. through a million tests to make sure that this plane is flight ready for consumers. Right. And that's the way your financial plan needs to be as well. Of course, we hope that we get up in the air and it's a smooth, smooth flight, no storms, no turbulence, but your financial plan isn't a two hour flight. It's a 30 year, 40 year, 50 year journey. Right. So we can reasonably expect that there's going to be some turbulence. Right. And so protecting your downside is on the list of things to do um, when trying to be smart financially. And then the last thing is get invested and stay invested. Um, and that's getting started as early as possible, putting away as much as you can afford to do on a consistent basis. So not like, you know, sporadic from time to time, I'm going to dump a lot of money in there, but like just getting used to putting away a, an amount that you're comfortable with as regularly as possible for as long as you possibly can. Um, because the amount of time that you spend invested in the market is much more important than trying to time the market and play hopscotch when to jump in and when to jump out. Got it. Got it. Um, that's so helpful. I love, I, <laughs> I don't know if that's just how my brain works, but I love for things to be like, broken down into like an acronym or like a cat like categorically and then you can bullet point each one so I find that incredibly helpful um because finance is very intimidating to me and it's not you are not alone the financial right it's intimidating to, to a lot of people and it's not that I don't have the financial literacy it's just it feels so overwhelming but for some reason we have this belief in our community that financial literacy is the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, I just find that so problematic because it's like, you're kind of tying 
poverty to morality, which I think is a trick of capitalism. I think it's a trick of certain um, aspects of Christianity of like, you know, if you're not prospering, then you're not a good person. Mm -hmm. And I find that, you know, I find many things disturbing, (laughs) but I just think there has to be another answer or another way or other means by which we can, as a community, do better to support each other, I guess, when it comes to financial health. Mm -hmm. And I know a huge part of that is supporting Black businesses, of course, like putting money in our communities. Something that I've grappled with, though, when we talk about real estate, and so many of us are, you know, like the back the block thing. Well, for me, I think that like where I live in New York, I think, how do I know I'm not a gentrifier? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's like, there's a, to me, there's a difference between like the moral failure of poverty and then the ethics of how you acquire that money. And I think that we're kind of like bumping heads in our community these days on that matter where it's like, if it makes money, it makes sense. And it doesn't matter like who gets shitted on, you know, and the people who get shitted on are the people in our community who still have not gotten their footing from a generational perspective. Like it's very expensive to be poor. So I guess my question is for those of us who aren't wealthy we don't have you know jay-z and beyonce money to just like pour to we don't have wealth to distribute in that in that regard what can we do as people who are employed you know self-employed or otherwise who have disposable income is there more that we could be doing to support each other in our community when it comes to our financial health you know that's a that's a really good question um there are so many different schools of thought on how to approach something like this. And um, part part of the issue in our community is that we are operating from a smaller pool of community wealth to begin with. So um, with the racial wealth gap, it is significantly easier to gain traction in any new endeavor when you have Um, the safety net of support that often comes with, and obviously every white person doesn't have this, but the reality is, you know, the average white household has about 11 times the wealth of the average black household. That difference is extremely significant. That's not a small thing. Um, And it impacts, you know, first time home purchase. It impacts education planning. It impacts retirement planning, family planning, business planning, all of these different areas. Um, and access to capital is one of the primary reasons that um, the story being told in sort of LLC land is incomplete. Um, so I, I say all that coming back to, to your actual question, what can everyday people do um, to support one another in these efforts or endeavors? And I don't have a good answer. It's a um, big question. It's it is. I it's it's a it's a lot. Dinner. It's a lot to wrestle with. Yeah. Um, I've I've had um, a client of mine get together with her friends, um, and they wanted to start an investment account together. Um, and being responsible, I had to warn them to make sure that they understand like all the rules around titling and make sure that they understand what they're getting themselves into if they're going to be joint owners of 
an investment account because that's a significant thing to do. Um, you know how people can get around money. So, uh, you yeah. know, <laughs> somebody's going to feel some type of way if, if one person is contributing more than everybody else or less than everybody else, like all of those things. So, you know, there are sort of aspects of community economics that have been tested and explored. Um, a lot of it, I would say, has to do with recognizing where common goals exist. Um, We have friends of ours that went to high school with us who started their um, real estate investing together. And so they, they have a company and they're fixing up houses and, and reselling them. Um, And I think that can work in, in the right circumstances with the right people that you feel comfortable with. And um, I'm, I'm happy for them because I think they work really well together and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in seeing how that goes. I think they just started that if not last year, the year before. So So I, I I want us to, um, before we take a break, I, what I gather from this is finding people who you trust with common goals that you can pull together to achieve something greater. Right. Right. And, and just, you know, what I, what I will say and what I often see in, um, in the mainstream community, the white community, um, is I see they don't always necessarily like each other. Um, definitely don't always love each other, right? but it is, it is a marriage of resources. Mm. So, um, some people have wealth in access to information. Some people have wealth in access to human capital. So other people who are good at certain things. Right. And then some people have financial wealth and they are very good at sharing. So the person with the information knows to share it with the person with the money. Got it. The person with the money knows to share his money with the person with the information. I think we have to be more strategic right, and intentional about how we go about those things. And, and probably less emotional. That, okay. That's a good stopping point because I definitely want to address that. So we're going to take a break and then we'll come right back. Okay. So to jump right back in where we left off. You and I both went to PWIs, Um, whether anyone wants to know it or not, you 100% went to Florida State. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) As you you can see currently. You rep so hard. This is, that's bad radio, me talking about what you can see, but I'm rocking a FSU hoodie at this very moment. Like, and it's, I just sometimes have to completely ignore you on like, Everyone does. That, that is a, that's the price. That's the price people pay for following me on Twitter. Right. Because, you know, I don't understand and, sports ball and I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> um, both of us having gone to PWIs. I think we both noticed <laughs> that there is a familial vibe between Black people. Not that we're a monolith, but for Black people, especially where we're from there is a familial vibe. Like we just kind of have these shared experiences of what it means to navigate the world as a black person. And that that's a spectrum, you know, some people yep. are 
you know, more on one end or, you know, whatever, depending on where they grew up demographically. And I notice in interactions, like you said before, between white people in general, they don't have that. And especially I notice it between like white women, they don't have like that sisterhood thing that black women have, and not just white women. I notice this with other women of color. They don't have that sisterhood bond that we have. Mm-hmm. And I think that has come, you know, I think it's a vestige of slavery. I think it's a matter of survival. I think it's a beautiful thing. But when it comes to business, I question how much that's hindering and helping us. And I think we should get to a, a place where we can find more balance in that because you did um, a clubhouse, you, you, you know, um, moderated a clubhouse room um, after the situation with the restaurant in Texas where the guy like shamed black with all black women basically and that was like most of his customer base and it begged the question would you have had this conversation with a group of white people you know so when it comes to these like shared economic goals i think that is something that we need to consider like i'm a person who i want to um believe the best (laughs) about things and i don't like buying into the belief that you have to play dirty to do good business but there has to be a balance there right yeah absolutely um and i think it's a mixed bag honestly uh it's difficult to it's it's a it's a difficult thing to navigate because there are absolutely a lot of um, black businesses, black business organizations that are existing for this purpose, that are working to this end, and they're doing a good job of it. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, it's where where it comes into play is, I think economics has these different pillars that you have to acknowledge, and we have to do a better job of them playing together. Um, so how, how is the private sector playing and interacting with the nonprofit sector? How is that playing and interacting with the political sector? How, you know, all of these different things that come together, Atlanta is a unique place as you know, us both being from here in that Atlanta has a black power structure. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, the mayor's office has been black for over 40 years. City Hall is black. Yeah. The city itself is just a very black city. Obviously, um, things are changing here, but it is still very black and bound to be more black than most places for a long time. Yeah. Um, so with that, I think that there are examples here. Um, similar examples exist in like D.C. and Houston. Detroit. Right. Um, so the, the question becomes like, how do these pieces play together and benefit each other? Um, but what needs to be done differently in our community than is done elsewhere, because we are operating from a different context, um, historically and financially. And so we don't have the same level of resources to leverage. Um, there's a lot less margin for error. And there's just less to work with comparatively. So I think in a lot of ways, we tend to gatekeep even more 
Um, That's what I was going to say. Our friend Troy has really gotten into looking at the power structure in Atlanta with a more critical eye. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely a part of it where it becomes um, status over community or status over race. Yo, it gets nasty. It gets really bad. Yeah, It gets nasty. I know know you've been meaning to link me and Troy for a minute, but um, I'm sure he's as he's looked harder. Um, and, and same with myself, just as I get older and I get more active, um, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how, um, people who look alike, who are from similar backgrounds, you know, if one rubs one the wrong way, like if you get on the wrong list in a city like Atlanta, that is small with the concentrated, consistent power structure, how you can just be out of, out of the picture, despite and and that's a dangerous game to play um, because human capital is a resource. And if if you rub the wrong person the wrong way, suddenly we're going to excommunicate or blackball a valuable human resource. Right. Someone whose knowledge and experience and talents could help move us all forward faster over, you know, some ego disagreement communication type issues whatever um but it happens often in in our in our little ecosystem yeah and especially I can even say in media I was telling someone the other day that it makes me really sad that I've had more positive editorial experiences with white editors Mm -hmm. and I don't want that to be true I want to say that you know um it's been great and that I have you know and it's I can't say that, you know, and that makes me sad. (laughs) Um, I think this just leads to the point that we need to do much more healing from a mental and emotional standpoint in our community. I don't think that any society, any community, any race, any group, any, you know, subsect of whatever, you cannot advance in these tactical ways if you don't do some sort of healing on the backside if we don't grapple with the dynamics between black men and black women, which you and I talk about all the time, and that feeds over into our, um, you know, our thoughts about our individual economy where it's like, okay, well, some women are willing to be kept, but then those women are looked down upon. And then there are women who want to be career women. And then those women are looked down upon. There's all this other healing that has to be done before. I think we can truly, advance beyond our current state um I also want to get like what are some of your biggest gripes when it comes to like misinformation about financial health financial literacy um you know building wealth like I know for me you know as a person who's super into fashion who's super into pop culture there are some things that I see over and over again and I'm like this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong it makes me want to die all the time but um so what are some of yours like from your specific you know knowledge base that just like really burns your biscuits um, it, it's, it's interesting because so, and I don't say this to be a gatekeeper. I say this because of how sensitive the advice is in, in my area. Um, so in order, so I've been 
um, in financial services now for six years. Uh, and I went from being a banker to being a life insurance agent to being what's called a registered representative to being a um, or registered representative or financial services professional. Uh, now I'm a financial advisor uh, and a CFP candidate or certified financial planner candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so along that, there were a lot of licenses and exams and registrations come on credentials (laughs) but you know with that comes accountability i'm i'm beholden to certain standards and rules and laws um with different boards and agencies that monitor my behavior and my activity right um because of that my clients have a certain added layer of protection because if I do anything that is untoward, unprofessional, um, illegal, if I give really bad advice, there's recourse. Right. They have another number that they can call that does not care about me personally. And right. is more like, this is my job. This is what I'm here to do. If, if, this, if, if he over here doing something shady, these are the consequences. Right. Um, and so in this environment, there are a lot of people who can just throw out labels or titles of things. Um, and they can, everyone's a boss. Yeah. Yeah. You know, coach this, you know, financial, this, this, so that they're just like able to do these things and present themselves as experts. And they may be like, they're like, I, I've certainly have not gone through to vet every person claiming to be something that hasn't come through right. uh, that, you know, everything that com- that comes across Instagram or Twitter, you know, someone selling an ebook course, et cetera. Right. But um, there are a lot of people who do not have any sort of credential, any sort of recourse, any sort of anything, at least nowhere that you can find. Cause the first thing that I always do is I look people up if that's what they say they are. I, you know, I, I look, I look at the investment advisors website. I look at, um, I look at broker check. I'm trying to figure out like, do where You're is this? People. Yeah. Like, is yeah. this information that you pull together, which is common. Like a, a lot of people are self-taught yeah. financially. Um, yeah. that's the way most people figure it out to, to some degree, some obviously much more than others. And so some people might've just went to investopedia.com and read as many articles as they could and um, watch some YouTube videos. And for the record, investopedia.com is an excellent resource that myself and a lot of other um, well-credentialed, well-experienced professionals will reference if we have a random one-off question like, the information on there is solid. It's excellent. Yeah. Um, And so someone can go through that and get it. But even when they do that, there's no recourse if they are selling this information. Um, And and they might not even be doing it maliciously, but they've gathered a body of knowledge over time. And now they feel comfortable and confident in it to have the conversation. But if they mess around and give advice that's meant to be general and someone takes it very specifically and follows it and it doesn't fit their situation 
it could really mess people up. So I feel like this about beauty. Um, on occasion, I write for, you know, like beauty verticals on different sites. It's a little bit of a struggle for me because it's such a loaded beauty is such a loaded term what we consider beautiful and like I really like to dig deep into like why things are that way but one of the things that I find troubling is that people especially when it comes to hair makeup skincare they will look at a youtuber who has the best intentions of like this youtuber might be like well I didn't have health insurance so this is how I treated my acne and you have someone who's struggling in the same way but they have different body types, they have different triggers, they have different. And so I think there is across the board, across industries, we're losing the value of expertise, we're losing the value of licensing. Like even when we look at people who, um, you know, make wigs and stuff like that, you have, we see all the time on um, Twitter, or Instagram, where people are like, uh, you know, come with your hair already washed, come with, you know, that's not a person who has been professionally trained in this area. And it's no tea, no shade to the people who have not gotten licensed, but there is another level of accountability with people who have, right. you know, and you can't, like you said, take this general information of, oh, if you have natural hair, just co-wash. Well, that's not really a thing. Like you need to shampoo your damn hair, girl. Like, you know, on occasion, uh, you know, if you have the resources on occasion, at least once a year, go see someone who has been licensed to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's, again, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, like in, in a knowledge economy where people are hungry for new information, hungry for new skills, and I applaud that because I think it's important. And for me, it's one of like one of my core values is to always be learning because yes. like I feel like my brain will die if I don't. Um, well, you know, neuroplasticity is a thing. Yeah. Like, your brain can grow based on how much you stretch it. And I right. think that that's really cool. So, yeah, it comes from the best place. But that discernment has mm -hmm. to be there <laughs> yeah it, it has to be because there's so, the the marketplace is just inundated with so many people who are quote-unquote experts coaches um gurus whatever um and obviously quality is going to be variant just like it is in any other lane of product service or knowledge um and then also motivations and sincerity and um, you know, some people are, are scammers and that's just who they are. And then some people are coming from a good place and they're being yeah. earnest, um, and don't know the damage that they're doing and don't know the risk that they're taking because the, it's, it's just so big of a, of a landscape and a marketplace of ideas and information that people have access to now that it's just, it's difficult for anybody to, to really take inventory and be like, nope, that's fake. Nope, that's bullshit. That's okay, but needs work. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. And, yeah. and to be perfectly clear, um, in my business, regardless of licensing and registration and um, designation, certification, whatever you might have, there is still a wide, wide variance in the quality of professional that you might come across. Right. Um, and every professional isn't right for every potential client. Um, Listen, so, that's even true for therapy. My first therapist yeah. was 
a huge misogynist, which if anyone has ever listened to this podcast, you know, that's like the, the worst thing you can be to me. Uh, <laughs> or one of the worst things that you can be where it was like, well, this ain't gonna work, but I didn't completely quit therapy, found another therapist. Right. Yeah. So yeah. um before you know, again, I'm trying to be mindful of time because you know, you and I can really like go on and on and on for a while. Um I do want to at least have some fun cool. <laughs> before I let you go. So I, like I wanted fun. to ask you some rapid fire questions. These okay. are fun. Okay, so here's your scenario. You have been invited to go to, let's say, Bali. I don't know, some fun place. And they said the only stipulation is like you have to stay there for a week, but you can only bring one carry on bag one carry-on bag not that like backpack and a bag and a this that people be trying to pull one carry-on bag what goes in your carry-on my laptop and my toiletries what are your toiletries my deodorant my cologne my toothpaste and toothbrush and my lotion adam do you not have a skincare routine I do, but if I'm only going like how how much in my laptop bag am I gonna be able to fit? I got I got my laptop in there. Okay. And I'm gonna then, let, I'm gonna allow you to have this. But then on top of that, the uh I don't have like travel size things for my uh for my for my face washes. Okay, well now I know what your Christmas gift is gonna be or your birthday gift. Like what the hell? I have my moisturizer. I do that. That will go, and they won't take it and throw it out. But if they throw, if they throw out my my scrub, it's we gonna have a problem. Adam, we have to work on this. You have to be prepared. This could happen at a moment's notice. If Beyonce calls, you gotta be prepared. Yes, I think. And what would be the the what would be the circumstance where I can only take? Like what you mean? I'm just telling me I can't check a bag either. I'm just saying, I'm going to Bali for a week. Be prepared. All okay. right. Look, I hear you. I'm not. I'm not going. I'm not going to fight you on it. Other than a little bit of fighting, I just did. Thank you. I said. I said. Okay. Squirrels or pigeons? Which is more tolerable? Squirrels. Right. Okay. Drums or flats? I don't. We don't pit. We don't pit chicken against each other. Adam, you have to choose. Why? You have flats. To. F- flats. Okay, so you and I can't have wings together because I'm a drums bitch. Okay, water, cold, or room temperature? Room temp. Because you're not a terrorist. Okay, would you rather be hot, like really, really hot, or really, really cold? Oof, that's tough. I know how you feel about being hot. That's (laughs) tough. I just... I, I just feel like once you once you too hot, you run out of options. You know what I'm exactly. saying? Like, exactly. You can only get so naked. Right. And it's just, there's no escaping after that. If you're cold, you can bundle and bundle and bundle until hopefully you feel a little bit better. Exactly. So I guess I got to go. But you know, if I'm, it, but if we talking natural elements though, I don't know. Cause that, man, I'm just by virtue of where we grew up, I'm used to heat. I'm, right. you know, I know how to navigate that, but extreme cold, like outside elements type, I'll, I'll, mm, mm, I don't want it. I would rather be cold. Cause like you said, you can, there are things that you can do to warm up, but if you are so hot, 
beyond an AC unit, there isn't yeah. a whole lot you can do to cool yeah, off. Yeah, other than be in water actively, like right. in water. Right. Um, okay, when you go to a hotel, mm-hmm. do you like for the bedding to be aggressively tucked? No, I hate it. I, I hate it. I hate I'm like, yo, what is like for what? What's the what like why why do my feet have no I can't move my feet at all? You in that thing like a hot pocket. I don't food. understand. I don't get it. I think it just like looks better. Like it's and a what's better the and what is the technique they use? I've never tucked anything that tight in my life. I have questions as well. I have questions as well. Who is this? I'm gonna ask the watch next time. I feel I like I'm see, being I want to see how they do it. It's it's nuts. I I get real. I, I'm I be in I be in the bed kicking to get it. Yeah. I got get this get it loose. Yeah, you can't do this. Now I feel like when I go into a hotel now, I just automatically like pull from the bottom. Yeah, no, nah, you got you got to take care of that because they. I'm talking about they be having you in there wrapped super tight, like like food. a burrito. You're a burrito. Yeah. Um, even though you know I don't see it for Mexican food. That's my secret shame. I, that's not a shame. I'm. I don't dislike Mexican food, but the hype is. I don't insane. get it. The hype. I don't is, get it. The hype is insane, and I've Here's had some. Thing. I think I've Mexican food just really, has great PR. Yeah, I think so. I think. I think. I think they've had momentum for a long time, and people have just bought into it. And you know, I'm look, and it's no, it's no disrespect to Mexican food because I will eat it. It'll just never be my first choice. That's exactly how I feel. It's you know like what I'm if everybody's like, out and people yeah. are like, oh, let's get Mexican. I'm like, fuck, now I gotta think of something to get. Right. Yeah. I'm like, Mexican. okay, fine. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not gonna throw, I'm not gonna pitch a fit about it. It's not like I can't eat, I can eat most of the things on the menu. I'm just not gonna be super hyped about it. That's all. Exactly. Okay, here's my last question. I want you to think about this, okay? When you put your toilet tissue on a roll, mm-hmm. do you pull from the top? Or do you like to pull from underneath? So funny enough, throughout most of my life, I did not care. And then you hit 30 and life changed. Priorities (laughs) got different. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I still don't care, but I pull from the bottom. Uh, You know why you don't care? Because you're not a woman. That may, that's probably it. I, it is, that is not even anything that entered into my consciousness until a woman brought it up uh, now i feel like when i visit you i'm gonna have to go through all your bathrooms and like flip all your toilet tissue. I, you pro- you you it depends because again i don't care i'm not paying attention when i put it on there it just makes more sense to pull from <laughs> why why like what is give me the what is what's the logic Adam, why this is the jessica day from new girl hill that i will die on just let me have it i'm not gonna give i mean you no listen deal. you could you could die on the hill all you want to but you're gonna have to fight a little bit you gotta Ugh. fight for your life i need to know why like what you know what? Since it doesn't matter, I'm just gonna change them all, and you won't even notice. So no, yeah, I, and you and you could, and I would not notice. But it would just make me feel better. But the fact that you're making it such a big deal, I need to understand. It just what, makes more sense to me. What is the? the are the there pros and cons? What's the I feel advantage? Like if you pull from the top. Mm-hmm. You're not giving the 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 tissue time to like touch the wall. Touch the, you have more control over the wrappage. It's just you just you pull from the top, okay? I don't I don't I'm not buying that. I'm not I mean, but look, listen. 
I that is that is a um, that is a delicate and intimate and very important function that we all have to do. So I encourage any and everyone to pull and wrap in whatever way is most comfortable and effective for you to make sure that you are wiping until you're clean. Here you go being all diplomatic about it. I'm just I'm just saying I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why that's a debate. Obviously, it's very important to a lot of people because you know I've seen it before. You know why? Because why? it's my podcast. So tell the people <laughs> where they can find you, how they can get in touch with you. Oh, also, I need to know the last show that you watched because, you know, we like to watch TV together. Mm-hmm. Via text. <laughs> the, the last show that I watched was uh, The 100. You did I, not tell me about this one. I caught up and finished The 100. I don't even know what that is. It's, it's this dystopian future sci-fi. You did tell me about it, and you yeah. lost me at dystopian because I wasn't ready. Okay. Yeah, it's in, it's intense and dramatic and uh, stressful. And okay. Well, I need for you to it's watch Bridgerton. It's a it's a CW it's a CW show to give you an idea. So, in the same vein of like you know Riverdale and all that, which we had a time watching Riverdale. Exactly. It was an exactly. adventure. Exactly. So yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, tell the people where to find you. Also, you have to watch Bridgerton and you have to report back to me because I think you're really going to enjoy it. But tell okay. the people where to find you. Um, plug yourself and all the things. Sure. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Prime Discussion, also on Clubhouse at Prime Discussion, and you can find me uh, if you want to speak professionally. You can email me at a Tolliver. That's my first initial last name T O L L I V E R at artisanfsonline.com, A. Tolliver at artisan, A-R-T-I-S-A-N-F-S-online.com. And don't worry, guys, I will link to that in the episode description. Thank you, friend, for joining me. I'm so happy to see your face, even though I just talked to you like 15 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. No, this was fun. I had a good time. I definitely need to figure out a means by which to get you and Troy to um chat at the same time because y'all are like you know my hope for the black man and I just really need to I I wish that I could get you guys you know um is it Fran Lebowitz who has the new show on Netflix with um Martin Scorsese yeah I was just seeing it I need to watch it yeah I want like a some sort of sit down with the two of you that I moderate but I feel like I want it to be IRL maybe that'll be like a goal for like after the parallelogram is over yeah I like that as soon as the the pirouette finishes spinning I'm excited. Yeah, I'm let's excited. Do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I love you, friend. Bye. Love you too. All right. Have a good one.